Back to InfoTrack. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. What's the best way to reform the nation's juvenile delinquents? Send them to the slammer? Or is there a better answer? Roy Mackey is here with an expert to give us the story. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Michael Thompson, director of the Council of State Governments Justice Center, which is based in New York, and his organization recently conducted a study in Texas that examined the most effective ways to deal with teenagers in trouble with the law. And this study is now being examined by authorities nationwide. Now, Michael, you found some pretty significant differences in results among the ways that a judge can deal with a juvenile offender. That's right. A key question that Texas policymakers were asking was they had made a concerted effort to reduce the number of youth in state-run juvenile correctional facilities. And they asked the question, having seen the population go down from about 5,000 kids in state correctional facilities on any given day to closer to 1,000, how are those kids doing? Are they doing better than kids and had they been incarcerated? And what we found was we looked and we compared youth who under the old policies would have been incarcerated, but now are under community supervision. And we found that those youth now under community supervision and closer to home were 20% less likely to be rearrested than kids who were coming out of state correctional facilities. And furthermore, we found that when they were rearrested, those kids coming out of state correctional facilities were three times more likely to be rearrested for a more serious crime than those kids under community supervision. Wow. Why do you believe there's such a huge difference there? Well, I think, you know, when you hear the changes that have taken place, you sort of ask yourself, it seems so common sense, why haven't they happened before? I mean, I'll just give you an example. One of the changes that the legislature made was to prohibit the incarceration of a youth who was found guilty of committing a misdemeanor offense. So, for example, you could have a kid who maybe stole a car, and the judge put that youth under probation supervision, and then that youth just repeatedly kept hopping the fence and jumping in the local pool in the summertime. And the judge got really frustrated with this kid and said, you know what, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to send you to a facility several hundred miles away, and maybe then you'll really sort of get your act together. This is now a 15-, 16-year-old kid. Well, what happened, we found, is that oftentimes those kids were associating with other more serious or higher-risk youth Maybe they were gang involved. Maybe they were on the trajectory to be involved more deeply with the system. And those lower-risk kids picked up the bad habits of those higher-risk kids. And furthermore, they ruptured whatever relationship they had with family and other positive influences in the community who are now living hundreds of miles away. And furthermore, they were in a facility where the staff didn't resemble them. Maybe they didn't speak the language. And so when you hear all those changes, you can understand why it's harder maybe for a youth to get back on the straight and narrow when they really lost all their connections to the community. The term community-based supervision seems like a kind of a generic term, and maybe it does vary from one municipality to another, but can you explain generally what that means? Yes, and it really does vary significantly. I mean, Texas has 254 counties. Each one of these counties is almost like a different country unto itself. So huge variation from one place to the next, but Bottom line is is that you know, you've got judges who can make a decision about whether to keep that kid locally and whether that kid will sleep at home and maybe visit a probation officer, say, once a week, maybe participate in a program depending on that kid's needs like drug treatment or mental health or perhaps developing a particular skill or job trade. And all of that can really vary from one jurisdiction to the next in terms of what kind of program or whether that kid is placed in a residential facility locally, and that can indeed vary from one place to the next. Michael, you mentioned stealing a car. Is there one offense that is most common among these juvenile offenders? No, I mean, it really varies. And make no mistake, there are some youth who definitely committed serious offenses. 
felony-level offenses if they were an adult. But when the legislature said, for example, that they were going to prohibit incarcerating a youth who committed a misdemeanor offense, there you're talking about things like, I gave the example of trespassing earlier, there's other kinds of examples like running away from home for a youth or truancy, not going to school. And again, the irony here, right? I mean, we're punishing a kid who's not going to school by then sending them far away from the school where you're trying to develop some kind of relationship. So those are different kinds of examples of misdemeanor offenses that the state prohibited a youth now being incarcerated for. Our guest on InfoTrack is Michael Thompson. He's director of the Council of State Governments Justice Center, and they recently conducted a study that examined the effectiveness of community-based supervision for juvenile offenders as opposed to putting them into state-run incarceration. Michael, just from a taxpayer dollars standpoint, are you able to provide any comparison between what it costs for community-based supervision versus the state-run incarceration? One of the most interesting things about this study was showing not only the kids were doing better closer to home, less likely to be rearrested, but just how much money the state was saving. When the state incarcerates a youth in a juvenile correctional facility, they're spending on average about $130,000 per youth. You take that and compare it to a youth who's under community supervision or in a community-based program, on average, the state's spending, you know, under $10,000 for that youth. So not only is the kid less likely to reoffend and doing a better job closer to home and with family members, you're also saving a lot of taxpayer money. The other thing that was really interesting is that we saw the state significantly increase expenditures per youth in community-based programs increased it by 67%. What we didn't see, though, necessarily was the outcomes for kids placed in programs improved much over the last five years. A youth in a program today as likely to reoffend as he or she was five years ago. And so that's a little bit of frustrating, I know, for policymakers who are hoping that with the added investment, you'd see better results. What this tells us is not necessarily that the program doesn't work, but rather that it's being delivered in a way that isn't consistent with what the research says actually works. And so clearly the state has some room for improvement there. And I think that's an issue that states everywhere need to be looking at. You're based in New York, correct? That's right. And your study was in Texas. Can you talk for a moment from a national standpoint, how common are these community-based supervision programs in comparison to incarceration just nationwide? So much focus nationally has been on youth who are incarcerated in state correctional facilities, and that's important, and a lot of money is being spent there. But, you know, you're talking about the state of Texas. I gave the number earlier today, about a 1,000 youth incarcerated on any given day. Compare that to literally like 30,000 kids under community supervision on any given day. And you see those kinds of ratios across the country, that if you want to focus on kids who are involved in the juvenile justice system, is a far larger volume of kids who are under juvenile probation supervision or placed in court-ordered community-based programs than kids who are in state correctional facilities. And what we don't see, though, are many states or certainly many counties that are actually measuring results for kids placed in those programs, and that's clearly a direction that government needs to go. Any advice for parents who may have a teenager who's been getting into trouble? Yeah, you know, we had a uh, parent participate in the forum in the state Supreme Court where we reviewed the results. It was very interesting to hear her perspective. Her son had been involved with the juvenile justice system. She was explaining a system that is incredibly confusing to navigate. Judges, prosecutors, probation, treatment providers, and many times those court officials not interested in the parent's contributions to the process. And it can be very challenging and difficult to navigate, but it is crucially important that the parent does get engaged 
find people within the system who can help explain to them what's going on, what their different options are. Because, you know, we see time and time again, there's no kind of influence on that youth quite like a parent. And it's just crucially important that a parent who's concerned about their loved one involved in the juvenile justice system really needs to do the best they can to get informed and then really help make sure that the decisions about where that youth is placed and what they get are really informed by that parent's knowledge of what would work best for that child. And is the nationwide trend for juvenile crime going up or going down? One of the really impressive findings of this report was is that as the state reduced the number of kids in juvenile correctional facilities by almost 70%, the juvenile crime rate, the number of kids who are arrested, has dropped to historic lows, and we're seeing that across the country. Interesting study. Michael Thompson, director of the Council of State Governments Justice Center based in New York. Michael, is there a website where people can learn more about this study? Yes, csgjusticecenter.org. csgjusticecenter.org. All right, well, thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack. Thanks for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.